glad the Lord protected us from the storms tonight, and I'm grateful that He protected me from the greatest storm that is yet to come. I'm saved from the wrath of God. I want to thank the church for their hospitality. Uh, I'd like to thank Brother Hicks, Sister Hicks, for the hospitality tonight, the meal that was provided. Uh, thank you for your love and support. I want to thank Bethlehem, several members that came. Some have been here every night. Some have come a couple of nights. And I'm grateful for your uh, support and your love and your prayers. And uh, just, good to, just good to be here tonight. Pray for me. The Lord is here with us. I, I'd love to see that domino fall tonight. I've read about those things. I'd like to see some of those things. But God's in control of that. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to a story that you have heard since you have been growing up. Luke chapter 19. I pray that I can make this as simple as possible. That everybody in this room will understand what it takes to be saved. First of all, I want to ask you a question. What would you purchase today if money was not an option? If you had all the money in the world right now, what would you do with it? I ask that question because whatever you would do with it reveals what you value the most in life. It would reveal a whole lot about your life, whatever you do with that amount of money. Money allows us to buy things that we want. I remember as I had moved to Nashville and started my job and I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. And yet I knew something was missing. Just a few weeks ago, I was eating lunch with a man that in his early 20s, overnight he became a millionaire. And I asked him this question. I said, what is it that you really desire in life? You see, he shared some of his testimony with me. He said that overnight I became a millionaire in my early 20s. But yet, I was so proud and so arrogant that I about destroyed every relationship that I had. He said he opened up the Bible and began reading. His wife, he and his wife had separated and he began reading in the Bible and the Lord began to convict him and showed him that you can have all of this money, but if you don't have a relationship with Him and you don't have relationships with others that know Him and are not making an impact in community, then what do you really have? As we look at this story tonight, I want to share this. The subject tonight will be something that money cannot buy. I know what that's like. 
I know what that's like. I thought as Brother Brad was preaching this morning about temptation, I remember the illusions that I had in my mind growing up of playing basketball in my backyard. And I had a, I had a, we weren't that, we weren't rich at all. We were, we didn't have a whole lot, but my dad had the ability to nail a little basketball rim to that uh, back of his shed and I would shoot. He had spray painted a little square on there and I shot on it. And I imagined myself being in the NBA and all of these grand ideas. And I thought that, hey, if I can just get there, I can escape this life that I'm living. And, and, and we had a lot, but, but I, I had a grand illusions of so much more. And then I got out of college and began to making more than I'd ever made. But I knew that there was something that was missing in my life. And I pray that as Brother Brad was mentioning this morning, there was a a moment when that little needle uh, pricked that balloon. And I realized, hey, money can buy a lot of things. But there's one thing it cannot buy for you. When I was growing up, I remember my dad would take us every Friday night. We would go to the grocery store and we'd go to Walmart. And I thought that I deserved a toy every single week. I thought that he should gift me a toy. And then I realized that that week went by and that $5 gift, it, it ran out. And then the next week I need another $5 gift and another $5 gift and another $5 gift. And I realized that, and especially when he said, started saying no, I realized those things just don't satisfy. Salvation is something that money can't buy. And as I share a salvation story with you tonight, as we look at the life of Zacchaeus, Who in here knows about Zacchaeus? Who in here sung that song for many years growing up? I pray that this will be so simple for you that you'll see that Jesus is able to give you something tonight that money can never buy. Let's read verse 1. It says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little stature, little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste. And come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost." Tonight, as we consider this subject, something that money cannot buy, I want you to look at what happens in this story. First of all, 
we must see that Jesus was passing by or passing through Jericho for the last time. This was the last time that Jesus was passing by. Secondly, we'll consider that this was a sinner who sought the Lord Jesus. I told you I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. Jesus was passing by for the very last time, and there was a sinner who sought to see Jesus. He had heard about him, but he wanted to see him. And then we see here that the Son of Man saved a man that very day. Jesus saved a man that very day. Jesus was passing by for the last time. There was a sinner that desired to see him. And Jesus, in the combination of all that, Jesus saved him that day. I pray that happens this very hour. Jesus is passing by. If you're a sinner that desires to seek him, to see him, he's able to save you at this very hour. You see, Jesus had set his face. If you read the gospel of Luke, you'll know that in Luke chapter 9, Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew that his time had come, and Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to an old rugged cross. The most valuable person who has ever lived was on his way to the cross. The goat was on. He wasn't a goat, actually. That's what they use in these terms. The greatest of all time was on his way to a cross as the Lamb of God that had come to take away the sin of the world. He was resolute. He knew what he had come to do. Jesus had come on mission. He actually fulfilled verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He had to go to Jerusalem to die a sinner's death on your behalf so that you and I could be set free. And nothing was going to stand in his way. Pharisees weren't going to stand in his way. The scribes were not going to stand in his way. The chief priests and others that were going to ridicule were not going to stand in his way. The soldiers making fun of him and beating him over the head with a reed was not going to stand in his way. The plucking of his beard was not going to stand in his way. The flogging on his back was not going to stand on his way. And I bet the enemy, Brother Brad preached about temptation this morning, I bet the enemy was whispering in his ear the entire time just give up, just quit, just leave these sinners alone and let them die and come with me to hell. But Jesus was resolute. Why was he resolute? Because he lived his life to the glory of God the Father and the byproduct of that was the salvation of sinners because before time ever existed, there was a covenant that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they ratified there in the halls of eternity past and Jesus was here on this earth and he was on his way to the cross. He had come to be the Lamb of God that came to take away 
the sin of the world. Nothing was going to stop him. And so he's passing through Jericho. Jericho has a really rich history. It's one of the oldest cities that we can read about in the Bible. Something spectacular had already happened there. If anybody studied their history, they would know that God had brought salvation into that city in days gone by. There was a Joshua that came in. His fame was spread all abroad that land. But I'll tell you, a greater than Joshua was passing by this day. But when Joshua did pass by, you know the story there as well. You've studied that growing up, that that the, the nation of Israel, they were coming into the promised land. And God was going, he was going to bring judgment on those nations and those cities whose sin had come up before God. And God was going to allow the Israelites to overtake that city. And you remember when the spies went into the city of Jericho and they began to scout out the land, everybody got weak in the knees. And there was a woman that was a harlot. A rotten sinner to the core that she spared some spies in her house and hid them there. And she, it says in, in Joshua chapter 2 verse 9 that they, the people around them had heard about this God. They had heard about the fear of the Lord and it said that their hearts had melted. They had, they had been weak as water. And she says, I know that your God is the God of heaven. And she said, hey, will you please spare me and my family? And they said, you put this scarlet cord in that window. And when we come into this city and this city is laid flat, whoever is in that house will be rescued. You see, judgment was coming on the city of Jericho. God was going to bring those walls down. And it wasn't going to take the men to do it. All they were going to do is march around the city one time for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And they gave a great shout. And the wrath of God fell upon that city. And the walls were torn down. And the Israelites ran into that city. They took the city. But guess what happened? Rahab had put that scarlet thread. You know what? Although wrath had fallen all around them, everybody that was in the house of Rahab was spared. They were spared. Why were they spared? Because they trusted in the light that they had. They trusted in the God who was marching through Jericho at that moment, in that very hour. They trusted and said, Rahab, and her her dad was in that house. I believe, look at this. God used Rahab to get a hold of her dad and to get a hold of her mom and get a hold of her brothers and sisters and her relatives. So many people came in that house because she witness to them that God, his wrath is coming. But let me tell you the good news about his mercy. If you'll get into this house and be under this scarlet thread, this symbol that, that is a symbol that goes throughout all of scripture, the blood of Christ, it's a symbol throughout all of scripture that if you get under the blood, you'll be spared from the wrath that is to come. You see, Rahab and her family was spared and Joshua's name was increased. Joshua pronounced a curse on that city, which is a reminder to us, never rebuild things that God has torn down. But this city was rebuilt. That's why Jesus is passing through. 
But I tell you, it costs a man his firstborn son and his secondborn son. In the days of Elijah, you read about him over in 1 Kings chapter 16 that uh, Joshua would have pronounced a curse. But in those days, people got so far away from God that they began just to do whatever they wanted to do. And a man began to rebuild that city. And if he had have listened to God's word, his son and His oldest son and youngest son would have still been living. But it says there that as he laid the foundation of the city, his firstborn son died. As he established the gates of the city, his secondborn son had died. And so we see that this is is a tragedy. A tragedy when people fail to heed the word of God. But the city was rebuilt. It was a very wealthy city in the days of Jesus. It was about 14 miles from Jerusalem, and it was about 3,500 feet below sea level. You had to actually travel. I've been over there, and I traveled through Jericho, and you have to go up the mountain to go into Jerusalem. And Jesus was passing by for the last time. You see, I don't know how many opportunities that you're going to have. I don't know how many more church services that we're going to have. I don't know how many days that are in your life. The Bible says, so teach us to number our days that we might incline our hearts unto wisdom. I don't know how many days you've had. We've been mentioning that, but the Bible says that our life is but a vapor. It's here one day and gone the next. Psalm 39 says that our life is the measure of our days is like a handbreadth, just a short distance across our hand. It's here one day. I'm already 41 and, and it seems like it's just time is flying by. I'm already halfway home if you really want to look at it. If I live to be 80, I'm already halfway to glory already. What a glorious thought that is. It's going by quick. But Jesus was passing by and I want you to feel the sense of urgency, a sense of urgency. I believe the church by and large has lost its sense of urgency. We sit back and act as if everything's going to just continue to be okay and everybody's going to get saved eventually, but, but yet we don't go. We don't go. We sit still so often. We fail to talk to people around us. We lose opportunities. But I'll tell you, as Jesus is passing by here, there was a sense of urgency. I'll tell you, people in Nashville understand a sense of urgency. If you want to buy a house in Nashville right now, guess what you've got to do? You better put your best foot forward. If you don't, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. There's a sense of urgency. That's just in home buying, but I'm talking about being prepared to meet God. To be able to go with Jesus one of these days where he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has paid the price, but he's passing by. Do you know him? You see, Jericho was destroyed one day with a shout. There's coming another shout one of these days. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be called up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. See, I don't know how long you've got. I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. 
That's the reason there's a sense of urgency when the Lord is passing by. Call out on his name. The prophet said, as many as shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to him. We're introduced to this sinner. Verse 2 says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who, who he was, and could not for the press because he was a little stature. Let me tell you a little bit about Zacchaeus, his life. This is the only time in the Gospels that his name is mentioned, so it's a unique story. Zacchaeus, we see he's, he's a man. He's one of a million. I think about that. Sometimes I get on that world calculator and just see the, the amount of people. I, w- I went on there just to see how many people are in the world today. And it, it just bounces back and forth because there's pe- more people being born today, I believe, than they're, they're, they're dying. And, and it's just it's going up and going up and going up. And so we're one individual out of 7.9 million or billion people. Not million, billion people. I don't know how many people that there were alive in the days of Zacchaeus, but I do want to remind you of this. Out of all the crowds that are gathered around Jesus, once again, once again, just like we saw the other night with a Samaritan woman, once again, Jesus has time for one person. That's something to think about. See, Zacchaeus was a man born in sin, like you and I. Zacchaeus was a man that was born into trouble. Job says, yet a man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upwards. We have this sin nature in us, as we've been mentioning over and over again, as something that you can't rub out. The prophet Jeremiah says, can you change the spots of a leper? Can you change that? It's built in to the DNA of a leper. You can't change the spots. Neither you who are accustomed to doing evil can you do good in and of yourself. It is impossible. It it takes a work of God to uproot sin and to take out the heart of stone and to put in a heart of flesh. It's the same for you. It's the same for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus grew up. His sinfulness blossomed. He got a taste for money. He realized that, man, if I can have money, I can have about everything that life has to offer. And so there was a business endeavor in his days. It was the, known as the Roman uh, tax system. That's what a publican did. A publican would find a way to hire, uh, get a contract from the Roman government... And the Roman government uh, had districts of people uh, set up all over the area. And a publican would be in charge of a district. And he would have to collect a certain amount of money for the Roman government. And whatever he could get above that, a lot of times by lying and abuse and by cheating, he could keep to himself. And so publicans in the New Testament do not have a very good reputation. They are seen as corrupt individuals. They are seen as liars. They are actually uh, put in the same category as sinners and as harlots. They were not trusted. 
This was a lifestyle that Zacchaeus has chosen because he loved money and he didn't just become a publican. He actually became a chief of publicans. He had an enterprise. He had other publicans working for him. And I can imagine the money was rolling in and rolling in and rolling in. And these individuals, because of the way they lived their lives, were of low esteem. And he really didn't care. He really didn't care. He really didn't care about people. He just wanted money. If he could use people to get money, then that's the way he lived his life. And it tells us as a result of that, in verse, the end of verse 2, he says, He was rich. He had an abundance of possessions. You know, so many young people growing up view that life consists in the abundance of possessions. But Jesus had spoken so much about this just in the gospel of Luke. There was a couple of brothers, if you turn back in Luke chapter 15, there was a brother who said, Jesus, will you please talk to my older brother and tell him to divide the inheritance in the proper way between us? Jesus said, who made me a divider over you? I'm not going to be an executor over your estate. How many people get up up at arms over inheritances? Jesus told him, he warned him of covetousness. He says, he says, beware that life does not consist in the abundance of things that a man possesses. What about later on? We have in that same chapter, I believe, we've got a man that says, hey, I've got so much money that I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And look at all of this I've got stored up for myself for many years to come. I've got it, I've got it all laid out there. But God said, you fool, you fool. This very night your soul shall be required of you. And that very night the man lost his soul and he lost every penny that he had. You need something that money can't buy. And you need something that people can't steal. And only Jesus can give it to you. Jesus also spoke about another rich man. You remember him? He loved his money so well and he loved the comfortable life and the pleasure that he fared sumptuously every day. He had the clothing, he had the food, he had the gated community that he lived in, but he was blind. He was blind to the things of eternity. He could not see past himself. He had no pity or compassion on those around him. He felt as if he had such a heart of greed that he felt that everything that he had was his and his to use all for his own glory, all for himself. But he died as well. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He couldn't even buy. He couldn't even buy one drop of water. He could have bought a thousand swimming pools, perhaps. While he was living, but when he died without Christ, he could not even buy one drop of water. He was begging for one drop, one drop of water, and he had no ability to purchase it for himself. And so Jesus warned, he warned, he said, you cannot serve God and money. 
I talked to a financial broker um, several years ago, and he was just, I was interviewing him and just trying to get an understanding of what it was like. He, he handles $400 million of people's assets, has lots of money, and I was asking him about what that was like. And he said, actually, actually, the people that have a lot of that money, I find that they're often very lonely. It's very lonely at the top. And he said, people who don't have much, I think he was kind of referencing me, they seem to be really joyful. I talked to him not long ago. I said, we're having another kid. And he said, whoa. Uh, he said, don't you have enough? I said, I'm trying to be fruitful and multiply. Fill my quiver. He said, blessed is the man who has his quiver full, right? We argue with that in Scripture too, don't we? But it's true. It's true. You know, people who have a lot of money often can't trust very many people. I've talked to some. Like, who do I trust? Because everybody knows I've got something. They might, they might want to... Uh, I don't know what motive they have behind become, getting into a relationship with me. I've got a feeling that Zacchaeus was somewhere in that. And it says here that Zacchaeus... He was chief among the publicans. He was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who he was. You see, Zacchaeus was a seeker. He had heard about Jesus. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, it tells us that the fame of Jesus had been spreading all over the place. Everywhere Jesus went, his fame was spreading. He was opening up the eyes of the blind, causing the lame to walk. And all this was transpiring all around him. Zacchaeus had heard about him, but he never perhaps had seen him. He wanted to see him. He was seeking him. He was determined. It says that the crowds were pressed in around Jesus. And Zacchaeus, he, he, couldn't, he was shorter, so he couldn't see over the crowd. So here's what he did. He put himself in the best possible position to see Jesus. It got very undignified, too. Have you ever seen a grown man climb a tree? I'm getting scared, more scared of heights these days. In some regards, because if you can get, I can get up there, but I'm afraid sometimes about getting down. You asked my mother-in-law the other day, I had to climb on a roof and I got up there and thought that I could handle it, but then I had to come down. But Zacchaeus is up in this tree. A grown man is climbed up in a tree. When's the last time you've seen that? If you have, I hope you took a picture and posted it somewhere. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. He ran ahead of the crowd. He knew that Jesus was passing by. I want to tell you this. I pray that God is working on your heart tonight. And I pray that He'll save you tonight. But but I don't know. I don't have that power. I don't have that authority. But I want to tell you this. Keep putting yourself in the best possible position so that when Jesus passes by, that you're right there to meet Him face to face. So Zacchaeus is hanging up in this tree. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, how much compassion does Jesus have? When Jesus had come to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, do you know how often we pass people by? This is remarkable. We often 
go to the mall, we go to the grocery store, we go to places and there's crowds of people and we just zip back and forth around people. We never lock eyes. We never really pay attention. We don't look to engage in a conversation. Jesus, I told you, he's got a crowd of people around him. He is on his way. He's on his way. How many times do I get busy and I overlook opportunities? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which astounds me even further. But he sees this man who is lonely. He's broken. He's looking for hope. And Jesus stops by. And he looked up and he sees him and Jesus speaks to him. He speaks to him. He calls him by his name. Do you know that there's a there's going to come a time I pray in your life that you hear the gospel message proclaimed, but there's an effectual call of God that you hear the you hear God's voice call for you. You realize that the gospel message is going out to the whole crowd, but there's a night that you know Jesus is singling me out. Me out of everybody in the crowd. That's what he's doing here in this story. Zacchaeus is up in the tree, all these people around. The only name he calls is Zacchaeus. And here's what he tells him. He says, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at that house. You see, you must Meet Jesus. You need to start a relationship with them. I can't get you there, but you've got to put yourself in a place. You've got to call out on him as he calls your name. He's able to save you on the spot. I'm going to give my opinion on this based on the language. Look at, look at Zacchaeus' response. Jesus gave him a personal call. The call was urgent. The call was urgent. As God calls for you, don't wait. Don't wait. Listen to Him. The call was for that day right then. Today is a day of salvation. And we see here combined between this. Look at what He does in verse 6. He says, He made haste. And He came down and it says He received Him joyfully. The way that's written in the original language it says that he received him as a gift. He received him joyfully, which means he continued to rejoice in the presence of Jesus. He was rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing that Jesus has called my name. He has welcomed me. He has said, come, I'm going to your house. Jesus, I don't know any other place where Jesus invited himself to somebody's house, but he did that day, said Zacchaeus, you're mine. I'm going home with you. And he just kept bubbling up. I told you when you meet Jesus, it's a well of living water that springs up. I bet when he locked eyes with Jesus and Jesus said, come down, I'm going to your house. Then he just flooded that dam of condemnation. It broke free. It broke free. That love of money, that all that gunk that was up in his soul, Jesus just washed it away right there in that moment. Now you may say, Brother Brian, I don't know for sure if that happened. Based on that Greek language, he, he started rejoicing right there in that tree as he was coming down. It either happened, I'll, I'll tell you this, I can guarantee you this, it either happened as he got down from that tree or by the time he got in that house because our blessed Lord stood up for him and said, that man is saved, saved, saved. You'll have to talk to Jesus about that one of these days. 
But we see him receive him joyfully. Oh, do you know the joy that there is in the presence of God today? Do you know there's joy in the presence of God over one sinner that repents? Do you know the greatest joys in your life? I used to think getting that toy on Friday night was a great joy. It was a great excitement when my father gave me a gift. But I'll tell you, when my heavenly father gave me the gift of salvation, all the joy that has flooded my soul. For some, they say it's, it's, it's love that floods my soul. Yes, it is. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Some say it's joy that floods my soul. Yes, it is because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Some say it's peace that floods my soul. I'll tell you, it's all of the above and so much more. Zacchaeus was changed. But guess what? People around him wanted to talk. They wanted to murmur. People around him. Here's what I love about Jesus. This is the way we need to see people too, brothers and sisters. These other people were murmuring and said, Jesus is going to a house of a sinner. Do they know how rotten he is? They know his lifestyle. You know how wicked he's been living? You know how many people he's cheated and how people he's wrong and how much he loved money and he didn't care for people? It says that they were murmuring, they were grumbling, they were complaining. And the word used is like they're humming like bees. It was the buzz. It was making Jericho's press right there in that moment. But what we often see is a sinner. When God changes a man in the heart, Jesus saw Zacchaeus as a brother. As a brother. He said, I'm not ashamed to go to your house. What I have, Peter learned this lesson, what I have called clean, don't call common or unclean. You may say, well, how do you know that happened in him? When you come to know the Lord inwardly, you know it's real and God takes out that heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. It has to, something's got to come out. If you've been born again, one thing you need to do is tell somebody. You need to tell, you need to speak up. The adversary, he, he wants to tempt you. And if, you, if you've been saved and you know it, you need to tell it. The adversary is going to try to keep you quiet for a long, long time. Could be many years. But you need to tell it so that you can, the joy that, that Christ has placed in there, that it can burst forth. But I want you to, I want you to see how uh, Zacchaeus, how, how he reacted. I told you he really loved money a whole lot, didn't he? He's a chief tax collector. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, He's no longer ruling his life. He says, behold, Lord. Did you notice that? He said, I'm not running my life anymore. Jesus, you're my Lord. And here's what he said. Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He said, I'm going to liquidate. I'm going to liquidate what I got, half of what I got. I'm going to show people what Jesus gave me. It's something that money can't buy. And I'm so happy I got it that this money doesn't bring me the joy it used to bring me. I've got a superior value. 
I've got something that's greater than anything this world has to offer. And it was a gift. An extravagant gift of God's grace. You may say, who else, who else got it like this? See, Zacchaeus is giving it away. What about that woman who had the alabaster box of ointment? Jesus said anytime the gospel is preached, just go ahead and tell about her story too because it symbolizes the worth and the value of Jesus. She came and she had an alabaster box of ointment that was worth 300 days wages and she broke it and the aroma of that filled that room because she began to anoint Jesus for his burial and Jesus was so delighted in it that look at, look at this blessing. You've just blessed me with an extravagant gift and some of those disciples say, hey, you've wasted that. I'll tell you, anything you give toward Jesus is not wasted. Jesus stood up for it and he said, hey, hey, you disciples, I want you to hear this. Next time you preach the gospel, I want you to tell what she did because this is what I have done. I am willing to bring my life. I'm willing to come down from heaven, the most extravagant gift, the most valuable person that has ever lived. And I'm willing for my body to be broken, my blood to be shed so that you could have a gift that money could never buy. And so Zacchaeus says here, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And he said, if I've wronged anybody, I'm willing to restore it. I'm willing to make restitution fourfold. Fourfold. He was serious. He was changed. His life was never the same. Jesus said unto him, you see, let me back up. Zacchaeus wanted other people. He, he knew God saw his heart already. But Zacchaeus wanted to restore his witness in the community. He wanted them to see that, hey, I've been changed so much that I want you to see that instead of being known as a greedy man, I want to be known as a generous man. Because I'm a man of God. I'm a son of Abraham. Jesus said unto him, this day, this day, is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus assured him of his salvation. Jesus declared that this man is saved. You might be here tonight and you may be unsaved. Jesus can save you. Perhaps you have been saved. I want you to know that Jesus can assure you of your salvation. Go to Him. If you've not made a public profession of faith, if you've not shared your testimony, ask the Lord. Go to Him. He is able to make it clear unto you. And this man who was notorious, a man of low esteem, this is where he started his story, but he ends being called a son of Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. He was also a friend of God. Jesus could look at Zacchaeus and said, this man right here, he's my friend. Jesus came on mission. He passed by Jericho for the last time. I don't know how many more times you have. I believe in second chances and third chances. 
But I don't know when your last chance is. Jesus passed by for the last time. A sinner sought the Lord. And he was saved that day. I think up in a tree. Looked undignified. But I tell you. When you humble yourself down on your knees and you call on the name of the Lord and you don't care what the crowds think and you realize the only thing that really matters is that I need to see Jesus, Jesus is able to get the job done and give you the gift that money can't buy. As we get a song and sing, I beg of you if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I beg of you. To seek Him. I beg of you to seek Him while there's time and opportunity. Like Noah, he is a preacher of righteousness. He said, get in the ark. Get in the ark. Only eight souls got in the ark. It was, but I'm thankful that Noah and his family got in, right? Rahab was telling her family... Get in this house. There's a scarlet thread. This house is different from every other house. It's been made holy. It's been marked off. When judgment came, they were spared. I pray that you'll find yourself to the foot of the cross tonight where Jesus took that wrath in our place and gave us a great gift as we sing.